Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Oh, hello, hello, and welcome back. It is an absolute pleasure to be speaking to you again after nearly a month away. As ever, I am still your host, Connor Clancy, and you are listening to the fourth Italian football podcast, the only Italian football podcast brought to you from inside Italy. Joining me, I have my my new trusty duo in Vito Doria and Kevin Pogorzowski. Vito, first, welcome back. I hope you're feeling well after your, your recent illness. Yeah, um, glad to be back on and... Uh... Yeah, I was a bit worried that I might not make this one, but fortunately moving it to Monday night European time and Tuesday morning Australian time, uh, I think it's helped a lot. And, yeah, it was a tough break for me, but hopefully, you know, we can get things back to normal. It's good to have you back on your feet. And we told the listeners that it was because Milan and Juve played on Monday night. But in reality, Vito, I pushed the pod back for you. You get the special. <laughs> Thank you, Connor. <laughs> um, in truth, I just didn't want to be left alone with the next guy. Um, Kev, it's a pleasure. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Connor. Glad to be back. Yeah. How was your Christmas? You had a, an eventful time, didn't you? Yeah, it was very nice. It was very sunny. And I'm back a little bit, little bit bronzed than everybody else in the UK. Uh, you say bronzed. It, it's, it's mainly a shade of pink or red that I'm seeing right now. Yeah, I'm always a little red. I, I can't really speak. I'm the palest person to ever grace the FIF pod, so it's best that I don't say too much. But, guys, we are here for a reason, I think, and that reason is Italian football's back. So, guys, are, are, you, are you delighted? Are you as delighted as I am to, to have Italian football back? Yeah, well, we, we had a little bit of uh, Coppa Italia uh during the week as well so it was uh sort of eased us in nicely um you say that but you you weren't sent off to Bologna and then to Milan for two games that nobody cared about um that that game in Bologna I was at last week was it was tough it was a terrible match everyone knew what the result was going to be and it was really really cold I've never struggled to type so much in my life I was going like one finger at a time but San Siro is always nice to go to even even though there were no fans, they they still pulled out all the stops and the in the press room and fed us quite well. So I was I was happy. But this week this week I was treated. But we won't get into that just now. I think we will start with right. Let's go. the the big The biggest game of the weekend was Napoli two Lazio one. Um, I should probably more accurately say Napoli's B team two Lazio one. And what? We'll start with Lazio. We don't really speak about them as much as perhaps we should, but this is an example of maybe why that's the case, because they keep coming up short against the big teams. They came up against the Napoli side, who were without... Who were they without? Koulibaly, Hamsik, Alan, Insignia, and 
Mertens as well. And Inzaghi Mertens said, played. Mertens played, okay, Mertens played. Um, Inzaghi said the day before that this was an opportunity that Lazio had to take advantage of given that Napoli were missing players. And Kev, they didn't do it. No, they didn't. And they looked as though they were they were showing signs of getting, getting back, back to form just before Christmas. Maybe the break came at the wrong wrong sort of time for them. Um, Milinkovic, Savic finally looked like he was uh, starting to find some form. But they, they do just have this tendency at the moment to lay down their arms when faced with slightly better opposition. Why is that? And, and who is who should be held accountable for that? Because Inzaghi needs to take responsibility for that, surely. Um, he does. I'm not sure if they were lacking a bit of steel in the first few months of the season. I noticed Lucas had been out, and I wondered where he was. Um, I must admit, not watching Lazio that often, I wasn't sure if it was Inzaghi that wasn't picking him, but he seems to have come straight back into the side, and, and then that sort of coincided with their improvement. Um, he was also voted, I think, over Christmas of their player of 2018 by their fans. So I think it shows how important they think he is to the side. We did have a piece go up over Christmas about Lucas on ForzaItalianFootball.com, which described him as the anchor of their midfield, which he really is. He's, he's so important in that side. Vito, what do you think about the whole Lazio situation? Because obviously in 30 of 38 games in the season, they're really, really good. But then for the eight that really matter, they rarely deliver. It must be a psychological issue because they do look good against the smaller sides and uh, for some reason against the bigger ones, they tend to either just panic or they look um, less inspiring. What I noticed about this game is once again, Inzaghi sort of went back to his old uh, formational methods and he had started with uh, Luis Alberto, but he had Joaquin Correa on the bench. And I reckon Lazio are better off when both of them are on the field at the same time. And when Immobile scored that goal, that came from a Correa pass. So, you know, it goes to show that even though Inzaghi in his mind might have wanted to really make the most of Napoli's absentees, I think he should have done better in that aspect by having a far more attacking side, even though the game was in Naples. Given what else happened this weekend as well, it's a very, very costly defeat for them because they've, they're now below both Milan and Roma and just one point ahead of Atalanta and two ahead of Samp. So it's very, very tight there and you need to, to take these chances when they come and not many teams will have the luxury of playing Napoli with the bulk of their squad or the bulk of their usual starting 11 missing but uh, we won't go into it too much but this was just another example for me of Napoli proving that they have that depth that they were accused of not having last season Kev the two goal scorers on the day Arek Milik and Jose Callejon are two of arguably Serie A's most underrated players definitely two of the most underrated players in the top six I think Callahan certainly. I, I tweeted after he'd scored the first goal, and it's, it's it's just where he seems to pop up regularly with those really important important strikes or assists, and just kind of goes unnoticed among the flair of maybe your Mertens or your Insigne, and, and he's been there. Are we coming on to five years now? I think in is it probably. You could argue that he was the most important of that, that sort of flurry of signings under uh, Benitez when he came in that, that summer. I know Albiol's still there, but Rain has gone. And as for Milik, um, hopefully we're, we're now seeing, seeing him start to really kick on after the, uh, the, the injuries that he had last season. Yeah, well, in terms of, in terms of longevity, Callihan has been excellent like you say Albiol's still there but he's not always been performing at the level that Callejon has Vito why do you think it is that the Spaniard doesn't quite get the praise that say Mertens and Insigne get because so often last season we saw them do that very same move where Insigne would cut in play a ball over to the right for Callejon who would get him behind the last defender and he scored important goals for them I don't think his goals are perhaps as uh outrageous as the ones Mertens and Senior scores and he perhaps doesn't have the same flair. Compared to those two, he's more or less a workhorse. 
and uh, he's more about his effectiveness than his uh, flair or trickery. That being said, you can even say that he's probably against the stereotype of what Spanish players have become in the last 10 to 15 years, especially with the golden generation. There are so many players in midfield and on the wings who just have great skills on the ball and all that. I'm not saying Cayo is a, a talentless player, but uh, in comparison to other Spaniards or in comparison to his Napoli teammates, he's more just that guy that just gets the job done. And that's perhaps the main reason why he doesn't get the plaudits that he deserves. He is quite bizarre in that, isn't he? Because technically he's very good. His work rate is, for me, it's up there with the likes of Mario Mandzukic, who gets praised every week for his performances and his effort. I think with Callihan, one thing that lets him down quite often is his decision-making. He doesn't always choose the right pass. He can he can be a little bit reckless in possession sometimes, and I do think that can can really stand against him. Uh, Kev, I was speaking to a, a Polish journalist over the break, and he was asking me questions about Arek Milik um, in relation to his, his market value this winter, and if he were to move on, how much would he go for? And he was pushing me to compare him to Christoph Piontek. And I'm quite intrigued to see what you two think about this. Vito, I will come to you first, actually. But Milik always does it when he plays. He's had terrible fortune with injuries. But whenever he has been consistently fit, he's been fantastic. And I made the point that I think his technical ability often gets overlooked just because he's big. He's a big guy who can do that job for you. But his goal against Atalanta this season is the perfect evidence to just how good technically he is. So I guess in a long-winded way, my question is, how do you think that Milik stands up to some of Poland's other great strikers? Like we've seen Lewandowski in, in Germany and Piontek now as well. Oh, he's definitely up there with them. And uh, just to show that Poland... Uh, they're producing some really good centre-forwards at the moment. Uh, I must admit I'm not overly familiar with the whole Polish youth system and I don't follow the Polish league, but to have this abundance of strikers, I think it's a very good thing for them. And uh, Milik, I think also at his age now, around 24, 25, I think he's close to reaching the peak of his career and... uh, you know, it's up to the Polish national team coach, uh, uh, Vercek. I'm not sure how to say his surname, but, um, yeah, if he can utilise him, that would be fantastic and give him the right service because they definitely got the firepower Poland and Milik, he can contribute to that. I just think without turning this uh, too much into a national team shoot, um, yeah, I think they need more than Zielinski in midfield. That's probably why they struggled in the Nations League and all that. Okay, good. Um, okay, right, that will do it for that game. We've been on it for quite a while. Next, you guys can rest because I am going to speak for our audio listeners to Dovsky Avone in Turin where he was at Juventus 3, Kiev 0-0. Okay, so I am now joined by Dovsky Avone from the Juventus Stadium in Turin. Dov. Another comfortable win for Juve. Was it just a case of business as usual there? Hello, Connor. How are I hope you're doing well. Um, well, right, basically, your first question. Another comfortable win for Juve. Yes, it, it was pretty comfortable, 3-0. And to be honest, it could have been 4 or 5, if not for Sorrentino, but we'll, we'll come to him later. Um, I think it was interesting that we cable lined up, actually, because they, they almost did a Zem and they had, I think, about eight players along the the halfway line at kickoff and and they had the first chance of the game Majorini made Perin make a good save but I mean after that I mean Juventus were quite comfortable especially after Douglas Costa scored I think it was 13 minutes in and get it from there you didn't really think hey, well, we're going to get back into it and, and that was essentially the case um, yeah, up until after that point I think maybe there was one or two good good chances they had in the um, second half, I think it was one one set. Well, Majorini had a chance of a free header. I mean, that that was about to be honest in terms of cable creating chances. It's not it's not like they were bad. It was more just that the UV are just better 
um, which when you've got a team that's on eight points at the bottom of Serie A, that's going to happen when you've got another team who are just an absolute winning machine. So, kind of was business as usual. And I think, like as has been the case at every single Juve match this season, if they wanted to step up a gear, they pretty much could. Yeah, well, they did that today, despite not playing with all of their usuals in the team. Daniela Rugani played. He got himself on the score sheet and he's become something of a forgotten man in Turin. Do you think he has any hope of establishing himself under Allegri or is it in his best interests to move elsewhere? Well, Rogani got himself on a score sheet, like you you mentioned, his first goal this season, the first goal for Douglas Costa and the first goal of the season for Emery Chan. So it was a, 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 a day of firsts, if you like, and Ronaldo missed his first penalty as well. <laughs> um, and, and that kind of brings you these goal scorers, up to 14 players in the team that have scored, which kind of, uh, I think I mentioned in my video after the game that this is something that could help Juve in the Champions League as well because... If they, if they become overly dependent on Ronaldo it'll be a case of if Ronaldo doesn't score then who gets the goals kind of thing um, say you've got Mandzukic out you, you may be struggling a little bit but if they can kind of spread some goals around the team from midfield from defence as well and some of the other forward players um, getting in getting in amongst the goals I mean that can only help them and Serie A doesn't really make a difference because they could play anybody up front and they have done in previous years with like some Matri and Vucinic and whoever else and won the league and that'll be the case this season as well they can play whoever they've got in the win the league but it's more a case in the Champions League where if you've got a team like Atletico Madrid who could take Ronaldo out of the game then if you've got Douglas Costa and Emery Chan and whoever else scoring goals instead of Ronaldo, then that's only a positive. In terms of Rogani establishing himself, I think his time in Turin and at UV has been a massive disappointment. Um, he's not really kicked on as everybody thought he would. Um, and because ben- Benassia want- essentially wants to leave because he's not getting enough playing time, Rogani's getting a chance in the team. And uh, he played well tonight. Allegri thought he played well. And to be, to be fair, he did. But when you're up against Majorini and Palacio, it's a bit different than when you come up against Messi and Griezmann and whoever else. So more game time is good for him. And if he keeps playing like this, then that's good for him as well. But I don't think when it comes to the big games, he's going to be one of the first names on the team sheet. I never thought I would hear the day when you would talk down Kiev's front line, particularly Sergio Palacio. Though. That man is the love of your life. Um. Another one of your life's loves is Stefano Sorrentino, who, it won't come as a surprise to anyone who watches him regularly, was fantastic despite being pumped. Um, Go on, sing his praises. What else can we say about (laughs) Stefano Sorrentino? The guy is an absolute legend. First game of the season against Juve, he he was fantastic. And and it's not that this is something new. I mean, it's something we've been talking about for for years and years. I mean, he's he's almost 40 years old. And he he still can pull off amazing reaction save. I mean, the one that he did against Alexandro, which I think it was maybe three or four yards out, headed into the ground, Sorrentino managed, I don't know how he managed to do it, but he managed to do it. And for a guy who is that old to have the reactions that he does is just amazing um, he should have he should be he should be you could even say he should be Italy's number one goalkeeper <laughs> I mean there's something I would advocate he should be in the squad because I mean uh, if, if Sirigu is getting in the squad for me Sorrentino's a better goalkeeper than the likes of Sirigu who gets in the squad and and that's the end of story. Sorrentino should be there. Sorrentino is a fantastic, fantastic goalkeeper. Um, and, and even when you're, you're coming up against Juve and obviously Cable's outfield players are nowhere near as good as, as Juve's and he can sometimes make the difference. Um, and obviously tonight it didn't make the difference, but I mean, you can't really say the goals were his fault. I mean, Rugani was in acres of space for that one. So, I mean, as long as he puts it away from the goalkeeper, then that's a goal. Douglas Costa's one was fantastic. And Emery Chan, I mean, what, what, do, you, what do you expect him to do there? It's a brilliantly placed shot. I mean, and then obviously saved Ronaldo's penalty. I think um, Di Carlo said in his press conference afterwards that, that he studies Ronaldo. So, he, can, so he's, he obviously does his homework and knows that this is what Ronaldo's going to do if, if a penalty comes up. So, I mean, what else, what else can you say about the guy? He's, he's absolutely brilliant. And obviously, if Cable do go down the season, which it looks like they probably will, he'll be sorely missed in Serie A. So, um, 
yeah, he should get much more praise. And, and I think the thing as well, and I think it was our good friend Adam Digby said on Twitter um, during the game that it doesn't get the praise he deserves because people only watch him three times a season against the big teams. And this is the thing, it's not just against the big teams that he does this. He does this week in, week out. And I think even already this season, he's been in the Forza Day Football Team of the Week, chosen by Vierica Preta like two or three times. And even last season, he was in it like three or four times as well. So this is something that he does consistently well in terms of like winning he could he almost wins games or not wins games but gets cable points where they shouldn't get points and matches as well so Sonatino's amazing um, and, and that's that's just a bit I, I, I was not sad but it's a bit sad they, they didn't maybe go to a bigger team to get some to get the recognition he deserves because obviously we know how good he is and everybody who listens to this knows how good he is um, so there, there you go Right, that is everything from me from the Alley Stadium because it's late and I'm getting kicked out so thank you everybody for listening and there's nothing left for me to say apart from Arrivederci Thanks Dov, I love Stefano Sorrentino too by the way I did, I did put him into my Serie A top 30 performers for 2018 so there you go, anyway back to Vito and Kev And now we will move on then to uh, Inter Sassuolo. A nice scoreless draw in front of 11,000 children at the Stadio Giuseppe Meazza. And it is it will come as a surprise to very, very few people that Inter were lacking in creativity. Vito, that need for a number 10 continues. Absolutely. And one of the other rumours coming through this January is that Mesutozu from Arsenal is another player linked with Inter. I don't know how strong those rumours are or what the realistic chances of Inter getting him are, but he's another type of player that can sort of add some extra unpredictability in the midfield, provide killer passes and, uh, yeah, with his dribbling and vision, I think... If Intel were to get him somehow, it would be a fantastic asset. I think, uh, in a way, I'd probably rather go for him than, say, Luka Modric, who they've dreamt about. But the chances of him arriving at Inter are looking lower and lower. Kev, do you think that someone like Ozil could work under Luciano Spalletti? Because we know what he likes his teams to do, and I'm not quite sure that Ozil fits. Yeah, I'm not sure what Ozil would do under Spalletti at Inter. But I always feel a little bit disappointed with Spalletti and Inter at the moment. They've missed that creativity for so long. And if you think about the team he had at Roma when he was effectively strikerless and he played he played Totti, it was almost that, that 4-6-0 formation. I expected him to, to be able to think outside of the box while Inter sort of continue on this cycle of not bringing in the right type of player, who's making the decisions there um, regarding the recruitment because, you know, they brought Politano in but plays more off the wing and hasn't really hasn't really done it yet. And I think if you're, if you're hamstrung as a coach with regards to what, you, what you've actually got to use, then you need to sort of be a little bit more creative with, with how you set the team up. And, they're just not doing it, you know. At, at no stage, I think, should Sassuolo, as, as as well as they've done this season, go to Inter and, and create more chances than them. You know, both sides were pretty woeful in front of goal uh, on Saturday. Yeah, well, it, it's interesting because I know you said that Sassuolo created more than them, but, I mean, Sassuolo did have the Prince playing, which they won't have for much longer, so they're always going to create more than anyone they come up against. But sticking with Inter, they did play with a different setup in the, the Coppa Italia last week when I was at the game against Benevento. The first half, they lined up with a 4-4-2. Lattaro and Icardi played up top together, and Spalletti was critical of it in his post-match press conference, but I thought it worked quite nicely. The two showed a decent understanding. They complemented each other's skill set quite nicely. Icardi was, as you would expect, the main focal point. Lataro was more willing to do the runs into the channels on both sides. He was coming deep for the ball when he needed. And then in the second half, Icardi went off. Lataro went up on up top on his own. And he, he worked there too. But then yesterday, on Sunday, whenever it was, they 
it was Saturday. They reverted back to the the four two three one, and they're lacking. Do you think that's uh, Spalletti appeasing the fans a little? You know, let's face it, they they should have beaten Benevento, so they call for. Uh, Martinez to be played up front with Icardi and he does it for that game he then criticises it, says it doesn't work and then he can go back in the league to what is his tried and tested formation with the players he's got I think that's probable yeah because really if he was going to be critical of the 4-4-2 I think he would have needed to play it in another game to be critical of it, he played it for 45 minutes, they won 3-0 in that 45 minute spell when they reverted back to a 4-2-3-1, the game, what, that's finished 6-2. So they scored another three goals, but they conceded twice. Um, I, I don't really understand what his problem was because Lautaro was more impressive than Icardi, even in the 45 minutes when the two played together. So it does seem like he's just determined to stick to this 4-2-3-1 and just hope that something sticks eventually. We've seen João Mario come back into the team okay, he's got talent, but is he really the answer to their problems? I'm not so sure. We've seen Politano. He's impressed from the right. Perisic hasn't been himself this season. And something needs to change. And like you said, at Roma, he showed that he had this creativity um, or possibly he inherited players who had been trained to be creative and versatile by the great Zeman. Uh, It's hard to know what Spalletti is going to do here because... I don't know. It's, we're back into that frustrating situation of not knowing what success is for Inter this season. <laughs> They'll finish in the Champions League places regardless of what happens between now and the end of the season. And I don't know. You'd think Spalletti could just try something, just see what works because he's got players there to make it a little bit interesting. And I don't know. It's frustrating from a, from a neutral perspective that Inter are just continuing along this well-trodden road. But we will move on from that, I think. Um, where better to go than the other half of my, Milan? We had Vierica Preta at this game in Liguria. Milan beat Genoa 2-0 away from home. It wasn't quite as comfortable as that, though. I mean, Milan deserved their three points, don't get me wrong. But they didn't open the scoring until Fabio Barini in the 72nd minute. What I want to discuss here, Vito, is Andrea Conti. He was forced to come on for his first, what was close to a full game, in a long, long time. And he did really well, setting up a goal. And it's not the first assist he has made in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, well, without going too much into the Coppa Italia game, let's just say that uh, it was a great cross to Cutrone, but... uh, well, had a shock of a game for some. He cost us the game, and Reina performed miracles. But back to Genoa Milan, it's good that Andrea Conti is back in the team and that he is providing assists because, you know, there's a good reason why uh, Milan spent the money on him in the first place. He's got incredible pace, and he will contribute to the goals despite the position he plays in. So I think that assist there in the... In the general game is a big plus. The only criticism I'd have about that goal to Barini is uh, who on earth was marking Barini? The Genoa defence we're all at sea. Genoa should be worried, right? Because Piontek scores an insane proportion of their goals. It's it's far more than 50%, I think, right? He, well, he scored 13 goals, they've got 25. So it's just more than 50% of their goals this season. And they're only six points off relegation. Absolutely. They're going to struggle. They are in a lot of trouble once Piontek signs for Milan. And it's hard to see anyone else stepping in and getting the goals that he has been scoring. Kwame is a great player. He has the ability to become a great player. He's promising. He's exciting. He's still very, very raw. And it's hard to see where these goals are going to come from. Would you be surprised, Kev, if Genoa slipped down into the, the relegation zones? Well, I would. I probably I wrote in the uh, in the mid season review over Christmas that that their fans actually would have a season without having to worry about it. Kievo and Frosinone are, are awful, but you know the other teams could still launch a fight back. And as soon as they lose Piontek, oh, wow, you know I'd be worried. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's brave of you to, actually, it would be brave to say that they might go down because Bologna are terrible as well. Bologna haven't won in a long, long time. And... They've got Sansone and Soriano in there who might help them a little bit, but it's hard to see them doing too much of a turnaround. Vito, I wanted to speak about Lucas Paqueta, however you say the kid's name. I'm going to have to get used to it because he he looks like an absolute delight to watch. And I have a feeling we could have a lot of fun with this guy in Serie A. He does show some potential and I reckon he's got a pretty good shot on him. So... Yeah, once a couple of those start flying into the net, then uh, I can see more plaudits uh, start coming in. Next up, we have Roma 3, Torino 2. In what was a pretty impressive win for Roma, we had Alistair McKenzie at the Stadio Olimpico. So I will speak to him now to get his thoughts. Alistair, two of Roma's summer arrivals were on the score sheet in Brian Cristante and Justin Clivert. It wasn't the easiest integration for them in the capital, but are they beginning to find their roles in this Roma team? I think with uh, Clivert, people are kind of waiting for this explosion to happen. Um, He's a very exciting player. Um, Clearly, I was quite surprised and impressed at the very first game of the season, really, how many Roma shirts with Clivert on the back had already been sold, and he obviously came off the bench in that opening game of the season to set up Dzeko for the winning goal, and people were very excited about him. I would say he's not quite found his place in the team yet. He is obviously in a position that's very competitive with Cengiz Under, uh, Stefano Sharawi, Diego Perotti, there's a lot of players he has to get in front of to get a game, um, but yeah, I think he's he's made a he's made a good impact. He's electric when he's at his best. He had a really good game, I remember, in that uh, crazy three-two win over Genoa just before Christmas. Um, but yeah, I think that he deserves time. Obviously, he's a, he's a very young player. Um, he is still in his first season. He's 19 years old. Um, so I think with time, he'll develop into the player that everyone's expecting him to. But I'd say for the time being, he's not quite at that found that consistent level of, of performance yet at Roma. Um, Brian Cristante, though, I think, on the other hand, um, has started to do that. In my mind, uh, at the start of the season, again, the midfield was a cause of concern for Roma and Di Francesco was trying various um, few ways of setting up his midfield, but what he settled on with Cristante being um, in the, the two of the 4-2-3-1 alongside the defensive midfielder most of the time, Steven Nzonzi. And I think it took him a while to um, be playing at a, at a consistently good level in that position, but he's, he has been um, relatively impressive pretty frequently in my mind and looks fairly comfortable there. So I'd say that Cristante does look a lot more settled in this team um, now than he did at the start of the season. 
the win over Torino then was was quite important. Torino have been in a bit of form. They're a difficult team to beat. But Roma got the job done on a game that you kind of get the feeling earlier on in the season they would have collapsed and not come anywhere close to winning it. Could this potentially be a turning point for them? I doubt many Roma fans will be uh, going home after that game saying that they think they've reached the turning point, um, especially given that they again managed to throw away uh, a very comfortable position. Um, now, I suppose the one thing you could say from this game that was different from a few others that have come before, uh, for example, when they led Kievo 2-0 at halftime back in September, Kievo fought back to, to draw 2 all. But um, this time, the collapse did come, and the the same nervousness was was definitely in the stadium. But they did manage to respond to that very quickly, and I think that's something that Di Francesco will be very happy with, is that his team have shown the mental capacity and uh, mental strength to actually be able to um, react to one of these collapses in a positive way. I think it only took El Sharawi about six minutes after the... um, Torino equaliser to to get them back in front and it would have been very easy for them to feel sorry for themselves at that stage because I think I'm right in saying Torino scored with their only two shots on target um, but yeah so that was a positive sign for Roma but I wouldn't go as far as to say it's a turning point because they have after all thrown away uh, a two goal lead at a certain point during the match and I think those uh, those that mental fragility uh, does continue to plague them. They did of course temporarily at least climb into those Champions League places. But it it's just remains so competitive for the, the fourth and final Champions League place in Serie A. We've got Milan, Roma, even Atalanta, Sampdoria might be involved in that conversation. Then Lazio, of course, as well, will be one of the favourites. Um, will you be rushing out to put money on Roma to finish in the top four now? Uh, I would not want to place a bet, and I won't be placing a bet on who's finishing in fourth place this season. The reason for that really is just because of all the teams around uh, in the race appear to be um, appear to have the same problem really, which is inconsistency. And I think Roma are in a, a good position, perhaps comparatively to the others in terms of the, the strength of squad and, and the, the form they're in at the moment. Um, and obviously, they're they're the ones who um, are right up there as well. But, yeah, they have shown inconsistency this season, gone on bad runs of form, um, as have Lazio, as have Milan. Um, so it's it's hard to say if the, this is going to be the turning point or if they're going to suddenly go on a run and, and comfortably finish in the top four. They've still got Champions League um, duties to take care of as well so that'll be on their minds they've got Porto in, in the last 16 which they'll see as as being a winnable uh, game and a good draw for them and after what happened last season I, th- I expect them fully to take that competition very seriously and perhaps that could have an impact on um, on their league form in, in some way as well we'll have to wait and see so for me I at this stage of the season I just wouldn't want to put my colours to the mast I'm going to definitely sit on the fence with this one I, I really couldn't say who's going to finish in the last uh, Champions League spot and then we will move on to the game I was at guys because this is the best game I have seen this season and I was saying to you before we came on air that it is the first time I've been reporting at a match live and in response to seeing a goal go in, my head has just dropped to the keyboard of my laptop because I had to rewrite my match report about three times in the space of 15 minutes. And just when I thought I had it done for the final time, Germain Petzala popped up with the game's sixth goal. Kev, even beyond the goals, this game was really good. Yeah, it was really competitive. You know, I watched... Uh, well, uh, I watched it back after the event, if you like, and watched the full game this afternoon, and it was just—it was just how competitive it was right from the first whistle. Um, Fiorentina clearly are out to sort of improve on a relatively poor season so far this year, and they're still in touching distance of the European places. But you know, people were <laughs> flying into challenges, particularly uh, Fernandez, who got himself uh, sent off. Right, you've brought him up. Let's let's discuss him. He is. Or he was a complete moron on the day. He had a foul before that. And I thought, oh, 
that was a little bit strong, considering where you are on the pitch, given that it's very, very early in the match. And then when he flew into that second one, everyone just knew. The Fiorentina fans in front of the press box were just, their head was in their hands. They knew exactly what was coming. And of course, he was given a, a second yellow. And I don't really know what he brings to the team because technically he's not very good. He works a lot. And we know how much Pioli values structure, work rate and all that. But I think I wrote in my analysis after the game that what he brings in work rate, he lacks in everything else, whether it's passing, shooting, tackling, discipline. He's he's headless at times. And Fido, can you work out why Pioli keeps selecting him? It's rather mind-boggling, to be honest, because I don't think he's anything special. And once again, he's an example of why Fiorentina's midfield is their weakness. They've got a promising attack. The defence is quite solid. And although I'm not completely sold on LaFonte as a goalkeeper, he has had his moments. The midfield, though, I mean, Vertu, he has his moments, but he's not consistent enough. Maybe it's the position or the role he plays. Jason, again, very so-so. And Benassi, the main attribute he provides is if he makes those runs from midfield and scores goals. Mm. But at Fernandez, he's the most, let's be frank, useless of the lot. Um, it's evident that Milan Badal has not been replaced properly and they should have found a much better option than Fernandez because uh, I think uh, that inconsistent mean midfield or unbalanced midfield might be a real detriment to their chances of qualifying for Europe. Veritu is a decent player, right? But it, it says something that he is by far their best midfielder because he, he just shouldn't be for a team that's trying to get into the Europa League and you hit the nail on the head. Benassi isn't very good either. I, I don't really know what he does. He scores the odd goal, but that's about it as well. I know um, Adam Digby's always saying that he, he can't pass, he can't shoot, he can't tackle. The only thing he does is score three, four goals every few months and everyone says he's great. But he's another who... When he left Torino, I thought it was going to be a good move for him. But he's kind of just been exposed for not quite having the the talent that he maybe should have. Kev, we will come to you now. Luis Muriel is back in Serie A. He he announced himself to the Artemio Franchi with a a double on his debut. Apologised to the Sam fans after both goals. Both were phenomenal goals as well. He ran the length of half the length of the pitch for one and about three quarters the length of the pitch for the other. He's obviously a player who has all of the talent in the world and on his day he is he's incredible. But it's just a matter of time before it starts to go wrong for him, isn't it? I think so. I was quite scathing when they signed him actually. Um He's he's one of these he's one of these players that will will go will hit that purple patch and then as soon as maybe he get he gets disinterested rather than you know he somebody else comes in. Um, I likened it a little bit as oddly that they were playing Sam to uh, Gabby Adini. He seems to go somewhere have a purple patch, but Gabby Adini's issue always seems to be that the club that he goes to sign another striker and that puts his nose out of joint. Whereas Muriel seems to just get disinterested with the the environment that he's in and we'll probably be we'll probably see him out there for the final part of the season uh probably score a few goals for Fiorentina but come next season it will probably be in and out of the side I imagine and then probably agitate him for a move and disappear to either another Italian club or Spain wherever he's uh, gonna go and pick up a paycheck next I think it's a big shout to give him till the end of the season. By the end of March, he'll have his belly on him and he won't be able to run 56 metres with the ball. As as good as Muriel was, all of my attention was on another striker on, on Sunday afternoon. Because the soon-to-be 36-year-old Fabio Quagliarella, who t- he turns 36 at the end of this month, Fido, he scored twice. And it was the 10th Serie A game in a row in which he has scored. Last season, he scored 19 goals in Serie A, which was his best career return. This season, he's got 14 already. We would assume that he'd be able to be breaking that tally and comfortably score 20-plus. And who knows, if he keeps this rate up, or even if he 
stops at one part of the season and then regains form, uh, it would not be surprising if he even scores over 25. The way the team is set up for him and the way he is even at 36, you know, he, he takes his chances. He'll score the more simple ones, but then he'll always score those beauties that just make us feel in awe of him. And, uh, you know, he, he's up in the Capo Canoniere race, so... It's, in, it's an incredible achievement for someone his age, and uh, he's a real difference maker for some. A, yeah. quick, a quick point on Qualiella. Go. He scores those wonderful strikes like he's done this year against Napoli, but that, that second against Fiorentina, the strength to hold off the marker, who was really, really tugging at his shirt, was just, mm. just excellent. Yeah, that's yeah. what you expect from strikers, you know. Uh, sometimes it's not about the flair, and uh, even with him, he showed that, you know, he he's smart enough to make the turn. And even at his age, he's still got enough strength to do what he did. So yeah, that's just uh, how strikers have to be. And he showed that. The only downside for that game was that he missed the, missed the reasonably easy chance in the first half. I, after. I, I think this is harsh to, to give yeah. him. It was... He arrived a little bit too early. Mm. The ball was played a little bit too late, and it was smashed in at a difficult. Yeah, it was a hard one. I, I think it's harsh. I saw him getting criticism for that, and I, I'm not. I'm not having it because yeah. it's not an easy chance to convert the way that. Oh came. no, I think it's more the expectation that it's Quayarel uh, and the things he can do. So, if it was like a young striker or a mediocre striker, you think, yeah, pass was too hard and position wasn't good, but. When you see someone like Quayarelli, you think, oh, he'd still find the way to Right. Still, two goals is still great anyway. His issue is that he scores goals like that one against Napoli this season, so the bar is higher for him. Absolutely. I, I want to bring your attention to something the listeners might have seen on our Instagram account, that Forza Italian Football or Twitter, um, which was Stefano Pioli losing his mind after the game. <laughs> Marco Giampaolo had said that Quagliarella was as good as Muriel and people got annoyed because Muriel scored two goals where he ran a long distance but being there Quagliarella was equally as impressive um, but Pioli Pioli went a little bit crazy he, he said Luis Muriel reminds me of Ronaldo il fenomeno you see the same qualities in his game when I heard it I just kind of looked around and I was thinking I've, I've heard that wrong you know, my Italian isn't very good. I've missed something. He's he's not said what I think he has said. So I went online. I was looking around to verify it. Yeah, he compared Luis Muriel to the great Ronaldo. Kev, does it even deserve remarking on? Well, it isn't the first time it's been said. However, it was always about his inability to keep his weight uh, off. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've seen it in the past, but never, never about their footballing qualities. No, it was, it was crazy. It was really, really crazy. Cheyenne has come into the comments to say that Qualiorella keeps getting better by age, and <laughs> that Ibrahimovic must have been speaking about Qualiorella when he said, "The older I get, the better I get, like a red wine." Yeah, yeah a bit of a bit Ibra love. Let's pretend that was him. Quags. I'm trying to think. What have we got? To do next, what game could we possibly be missing? Do you still want to blow your horn on uh, Dovin Zapata and his heroics? Uh, we'll take a trip down to the, the province of Lazio then, shall we? Where Frozenone, Frozenone just rolled over Atalanta again. That's nine goals against big Marco Sportiello who left Atalanta because he was too big for them a couple of years ago. Now he's conceded nine against Atalanta and he's going to get relegated. But that's not what I'm here. Duvan Zapata. Vito, thank you for the Colombian. Because yes. a turgid first few months to the season where he was a liability at times. He has scored 13 Serie A goals in his last seven games. 14 in his last eight altogether in the Coppa Italia and he looks unstoppable. Yeah, uh, he's been absolutely superb for Atalanta. You know, I'm still stunned that some thought he got rid of him because I thought he was pretty good at some, but this run of form, uh, 
I don't think many people would have seen it coming. He just looks so much more mobile now. And adding that to his aerial threat, I mean, it's like he can just score any kind of goal he wants to now. And this is what Atalanta's been missing for the last couple of years under Gasparini because Catania did the hard work. He did the stuff with the team, but he wasn't putting the goals in. With this uh, extra avenue to go and uh, Zapata firing these goals in, this is the real difference between Atalanta, you know, sustaining that run for the Europa League or even making a push for the Champions League themselves. Yeah, so well, everything is up for grabs. They've got a good chance. Absolutely. I've been saying it since November, or I've been saying it since August. But Atalanta now have 44 goals. And given that there were, I think, six games in the middle of the season where they didn't score once, that's remarkable. So they've effectively scored 44 goals in 14 matches. It's absolutely incredible. And we said this earlier on in the season that Zapata coming to Atalanta could be a real difference maker because he's able to do the things that Patania does but he can score more. And he's now proving that. There were times this season where he wasn't even doing the things that Patania did. When his confidence was low, he was he was selfish. He was so desperate to, to get those goals that he was shooting when Papu, Ilicic, Gussens were all in better positions than him. But now it's just working. It's clicking. And hopefully it continues between now and the end of the season because he is a joy to watch. Even from a neutral perspective, I would imagine he's... He's excellent to watch in that front three with Ilicic and Papu just playing to his every need. It's it's fantastic. But where shall we go? All right, before we finish up, guys, we'll do a quick bit of transfer chat. Oh, I want to talk about Gonzalo Higuain because he's going to Chelsea from Milan. And a lot of people have been saying that he failed at Milan. But Kev, do, do you think that, has he failed Milan or have Milan kind of failed him in a way? Um. I think, in a way, you could say that he's failed Milan from the from the point of view that I don't think he ever wanted to be there. Um, I think at his age and playing for Juve, he was maybe expecting a not so, not necessarily a better offer, but maybe a Champions League club. Whether that came from Chelsea in the summer um, with Sari going there, but obviously we had the the drawn out Conte departure. And I think some of that frustration came out when Juve played Milan earlier in the season. Um, so I, I think I, I think that's part. I think that's part of the issue um, because he really should have been a an excellent sort of sounding board for Cutrone to work off. If anything, if Milan could have got anything off him this year, is what Cutrone could have learnt from him. But his nose was probably put out of joint by the fact that he was effectively the the pre. Ronaldo signing, if you like, that was supposed to take them to the the promised land of another Champions League. And over the, the couple of seasons that he was there, he, he never became that 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 person that made that extra little bit of contribution to see them over the line, really. It's an interesting point that I bet him never really wanting to be there. And that is probably in part why everything boiled over at the San Siro earlier this season. But um, replacing him is, I've forgotten his name, Christoph Biontech. He's going to be going in at Milan. I'm, I'm intrigued by this because they've already got Cutrone and now they've got a second young striker, both of who will need as many minutes as they possibly can to continue their development. Uh, Vito, do you think the two of these could just end up getting in each other's way? I think it's a great case of that happening because they are similar type of strikers. How... Uh, Remains to be seen how Gattuso can make them work together. If it was a different coach, I would say they would come up with a good enough scheme or accommodate them or even train train them to work together somehow. But Gattuso, as we've seen throughout you know, the season or last season and a half, that is a very basic coach. So I don't think he'll be the guy to make them work together. And lastly, Kev, last question of the pod. Kevin Prince Boateng, the prince has left Reggio Emilia, which means I have no reason to go to Reggio Emilia anymore. So I'm quite happy about that because it's a terrible, terrible place. But the prince, am I the only one that thinks this move makes sense? 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose from one from one point of view, there's uh, you know Barcelona haven't got the the league wrapped up just yet, but um, and, and obviously they're still fighting for the Champions League. I just. I've not seen a lot of him over the last couple of years. You know, he obviously was at Las Palmas, so they clearly have seen him play in La Liga. Um, he, he gets a lot of media attention, but, um, you know, it, it shocked me. It was the one thing that kept me uh, interested this afternoon in uh, social media. It's it's going to be a short-term fail for them. The, Valverde has been saying basically since October that he wants another striker, and it's going to be on a temporary basis. So uh, Prince gives you that versatility. He's, he's excellent. Everything Sassuolo did went through him. He's, he's got the ability to play as a front man, as he has done in Reggio Emilia this season. I, I think he's a really, really good player and he'll probably go somewhere in the summer and get paid an astronomical amount of money, whether it's in China or the U S but like I said, he was at Las Palmas and he smashed it. And then he was at Eintracht Frankfurt and he helped them win the cup. And then he did really, really well to swallow up until he got that injury. And then it's been kind of hit and miss since. But, oh, I, I really like Prince. And I think he'll, he'll do a decent job if he's given enough of a chance at Barcelona. Big fish yeah. in the pond. Yeah, there, there's potentially something in that. But when was the last time he was afforded a, a real chance in a big pond? Uh, probably Milan in his first t- spell there. And, and he was all right for the most part when he was playing with good players. When he had Ibrahimovic alongside him, he was very, very good. He'll be at Barcelona with really elite players, so I, I could see it working. Um, when he went back the second time, it was a bit of a mess. But Sid Lowe did an excellent interview with Prince, actually, while he was at Las Palmas. And it struck me just how much he matured. Because obviously when he was younger, he was he was mad. An interview went up on Marca, actually, when was it? Two, three years ago? And it was doing the rounds again today, obviously, with him going back. And he was speaking about how he was so immature as a youngster, but he had learned how to handle everything a lot better as he got older. And I, my big regret is that I never got to speak to him while he was here. Hopefully, he'll make a return. Maybe he'll go to Parma or Atalanta or something in the summer. Who knows? Guys, we've done it. Thank you very much. The first podcast of 2019. It's great to be back. Vito, thank you for, for joining us. Yep, no, it was all good, Connor. Yeah, and glad that I was uh, healthy enough to speak on today. Perfect. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you again, Kev. It's been good. My pleasure as always. Um, Jose asks, "What do we think of Zaniolo?" Well, to answer that question, Jose, I, I will direct you to ForzaItalianFootball.com, where tomorrow morning, this guy Vito Doria's feature on Zaniolo and the deal that took him to Rome and. Santanangalan the other way is discussed. So you can read that and you'll find out our thoughts on Zaniola. Because what Vito says, we think. Um, all right. So for all of your Serie A coverage, all, of course, head over to ForzaItalianFootball.com. Go to the Instagram at ForzaItalianFootball. We've been smashing it with stories, feed posts, everything from the stadiums. Get us on Twitter at Serie A FFC and Facebook at ForzaItalianFootball. You really don't need any other website for your Italian football fix. Okay. Um, all there is for me to say until next week. Oh, I just realized. I'm going to Milan, Napoli, and Torino Inter next week. It's going to be fantastic. All right, guys. Um, really, that's it. So all that's left for me to say is ciao for now.
Firenze vante gloria, sul tuo vestillo scrivi forse il cuore, e nostra sarà sempre la vittoria. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.